The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Tuesday edition of Squawk Box. In your headlines this hour, President Biden renominates Jerome Powell for a second term as Fed chair and names Lael Brainard as the central bank's vice chair while stressing the need for an independent Federal Reserve. I believe we need to do everything we can to take the bitter partisanship of today's politics out of something as important as the independence and credibility of the Federal Reserve. How's the market reacted? Well, the S&P and the Nasdaq hit fresh record highs, but stocks came off later in the session as investors apparently refocus now on the timetable for interest rate moves from the Federal Reserve. Zoom, meanwhile, beating earnings estimates and issuing a better-than-expected guidance. But shares plunge as it warns of slowing revenue growth as life gets back to a semblance of normality post-pandemic. Plus, the US will reportedly release crude from its strategic reserve today in concert with other major consuming nations as the president looks to lower gasoline prices. So let's just talk about this uh, renomination process. US President Joe Biden confirming Jerome Powell for another term as Fed chair. Powell's first term, which ends in February next year, has seen him guide the central bank through a period of unprecedented monetary stimulus to help the world's largest economy cope with COVID-19. And our crack graphics team have drawn up this wonderful wall for you to show how Powell's term ultimately was reflected in positive moves from the markets as at every test he assisted by coming up with a new strategy that would provide liquidity and tide the economy through the difficulties that were presented by the lockdowns from COVID. He now awaits Senate confirmation. At this point, it looks a, a formality, but we know that there are those on the left who are not happy about this decision. President Biden praised Powell as he announced this decision and defended keeping him on, despite Powell being originally nominated by former President Trump. Some will no doubt question why I'm renominating Jay when he was the choice of a Republican predecessor. Why am I not picking a Democrat? Why am, I, why am I not picking fresh blood or taking the Fed in a different direction? Put directly, at this moment both of a, both enormous potential and enormous uncertainty for our economy, we need stability and independence at the Federal Reserve. Jay has proven the independence that I value in the Federal Chair, in the, in the Fed Chair. In the last administration, he stood up to unprecedented political interference and in doing so successfully maintained the integrity and credibility of this his institution. It's just one of the many reasons why Jay has support from across the political spectrum. Well, Jay Powell, meanwhile, said that dealing with rising prices would remain his priority. We know that high inflation takes a toll on families, especially those less able to meet the higher costs of essentials like food, housing, and transportation. 
We will use our tools both to support the economy in a strong labor market and to prevent higher inflation from becoming entrenched. Well, the decision ends weeks of speculation that Fed Governor Lael Brainard could receive the president's nod. Instead, the Board of Governors' only Democrat was nominated to succeed Richard Clarida as vice chair of the central bank, having served on the board since 2014. Brainard is often seen as a voice of dissent against her peers. In June 2020, she objected to proposed changes to weaken the Volcker rule which helped uh, limit banks' dealings with private equity firms and hedge funds. Uh, speaking after the nomination, Brainard outlined her plans to get the economy back on track. I'm committed to putting working Americans at the center of my work at the Federal Reserve. This means getting inflation down at a time when people are focused on their jobs and how far their paychecks will go. It means supporting a growing economy that includes everyone. It means ensuring that financial markets are thriving and resilient, and the economy is sustainable for future generations. So, Lael Brenard talking there. So, the continuity candidate has been confirmed effectively by President Biden. This is stability. This is a Fed chair that the market knows. But let me ask you a question. Is this a Fed chair who is a chair for all seasons. There was a terrific song I used to listen to back in the 60s. I don't know if many of you were around at that time, but the birds had a wonderful song. It was, um, it was called um, Turn, 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 and um, had, a, had a wonderful uh, lyric all about the seasons and turn, turn, turn. You have to change what you do depending on the conditions. And this is the challenge now for Jay Powell. Is he the kind of Fed chair who just knows how to hit the gas and provide liquidity and print money when times are difficult? Or is he also a Fed chair who knows how to gently take that money back perform the perfect landing, if you like, for the economy when things are improving. And things are improving. You only have to look at, say, the existing home sales data that we had yesterday, which was 0.8% uh, uh, positive, which was better than market expectations here. So that partly explains why early on intraday we had some really good moves here in the US markets. But I think as we got towards the end of the day, well, you can have enough of a good thing, can't you? We had a new record on the S&P and the market refocused on interest rate moves in 2022. What about the Treasuries? Let's have a look at the Treasuries because I think largely as we looked at that Nasdaq pullback, the reason a lot of uh, scribes ascribed uh, to that pullback was the movements we got in the Treasury yields. And it was the 10-year that moved on from something that looked like 1.56 to 1.62. And that move up in the yield obviously has consequences for owner of, owners of growth stocks. Um, the tech stocks then, let's just show you the, uh, the board here and you can get a good sense, I think, of where the damage was done. And primarily Amazon and Alphabet saw most of the selling here. Twitter didn't escape uh, some pain either, but Apple and Tesla uh, perceived as uh, beacons 
of strength in what was largely a difficult session for the techs. And it was uh, a tough one also for some of these recent IPOs, but we'll tell you about those a little bit later on in the program. What about the banks? The banks should benefit, shouldn't they, from higher interest rates if that's ultimately where we're going. If Jay Powell is a man for all seasons or a Fed chair for all seasons, well, this is what you've got in the banks here. And um, the market liked the idea of higher interest rates, higher net interest margins for the banks, and, of course, uh, strong economic activity supportive. Dollar crosses. Uh, where are we on the greenback here? Um, interesting that we uh, see the dollar continue to make some gains against the pound sterling here. We had a uh, bit of a wonky survey uh, from the European Commission, I think it was, on consumer confidence in the eurozone for uh, uh, November. And it, um, it suggested actually that uh, there was a little bit of weakness uh, starting to come into consumer sentiment. And that data came from a period even before we saw the spike in the recent COVID infections. But largely the dollar would be uh, or, or is performing as you would expect with uh, the market refocusing on the prospect of higher interest rates. Asian markets, let's have a look at how we're doing in the Asian session this morning. The uh, Australian market um, coming to the uh, end of its business day up about uh, three quarters of one percent here. The Shanghai Composite hanging on to gains. There was some interesting news around coal stocks in China that suggests actually there's now a level of comfort in stockpiling of coal which uh, I think the Chinese government hopes will tide them through the cold winter and there won't be any shortages because we know the fear is that we have some outages of supply or indeed some factories have to close down production for some periods because they don't have the energy. But there did seem to be some reassurance in that area. Again, a lot of head scratching going on as, uh, about the Evergrande EV business and whether the market is keen on that business unit raising more money and obviously that has had an impact on uh, sentiment in the Hong Kong market through the last 48 hours. The opening calls for Europe. Well, let's uh, spin the dials on the uh, slot machine and see what it comes up with. And as you can see here, the early indication is that we will follow some of that weaker tone that we got to the close of the US session here with the European Open indicated slightly weaker. Steve. Uh, Jeff, we need some clarification. Sorry, you weren't actually listening to the birds in the 1960s, were you? You were too tiny for that. Uh, I think I was just about old enough to hear the music, although at the time I may not have been able to identify it. But uh, come on, you, 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 were a 70s, okay. you were a 70s child as well. You remember some of those, I mean, like the Beatles, you know, the best period for the Beatles was way back in the 60s and 70s, wasn't it? But you know the songs as well as I well, do. They, well, they... they, they they, I do, and they broke up in 1970, didn't they? Look, um, I, I, I personally, I prefer Mr. Tambourine Man for, by the aforementioned birds, but I took a look at the lyrics of Turn, 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 and it seems a recipe for a Federal Reserve flip-flop or a Bank of England governor flip-flop. A time to build or a time to break down, to dance, to mourn, to cast away stones, to gather stones together. Sounds like, Jeff, is a recipe for, well, we can flip-flop around on policy as much as we like. But anyway, you better leave that there because the Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, says that in his second term as Fed Chair, Jerome Powell must help avoid long-term inflation. I think we do have to be concerned about inflation. Um, it's reached a level that concerns um, most Americans who are seeing it in their pocketbook when they 
um, go to the store to buy food or to uh, fill up their cars at the pump. I think it's uh, partly a reflection of the fact that pandemic has had a severe influence on in our economy and it's part of uh, a demand supply imbalance in getting on track. But um, the administration, the White House is doing everything we can to address supply chain bottlenecks that are uh, boosting prices. And over the longer run, the Fed um, needs to play an important role to make sure that this doesn't become endemic. Right, it's time to get to Guy Steer, Global Head of Fixed Income Research at Societe Generale. Guy, good morning to you. Most important question of the day. Do you have a favourite 60s band? Uh, well, that's a good question. Um, I, I don't think it would be the birds, and uh, I'm, more, uh, I'm more a fan of uh, the, the Clash, to be honest, which isn't a 60s band. So. And I can't tell you who prefers uh, the birds, uh, whether Jeff, it's Jeff's Janet Yellen. Man. <laughs> well, Jeff's a Clash man as well. Why, why don't you kick off? The most important question, of course, is what do you think of the nomination? That's the, the other key question of the day. Well, I think the the as you, I think as you've already said, it's definitely a continuity uh, a continuity decision, and in that case, I think the markets take it well. Maybe the most interesting difference between Lael Brainerd and um, uh, and uh, Jay Powell is on bank supervision rather than their attitude towards inflation. And maybe one of the reasons why banks were happy is because they have Powell, who uh, probably is a bit of a lighter touch. Uh, and uh, and that might be one of the the conversations which takes place in terms of the supervision, in terms of the uh, the the um, approval of the renomination. But 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 that's at the per, uh, the periphery at the moment as well. We're not talking about uh, a concerted effort from Democrats on Capitol Hill uh, to push for tighter bank regulation at the moment. I don't believe any more changes to the Volcker rule, whether Elizabeth Warren thinks Jay Powell's a dangerous man or not, uh, is the key issue at the moment. I guess the key issue is, as Janet Yellen pointed out, and as I think you were going to allude to, is what about this inflation story as well? Uh, even the Treasury Secretary now beginning to get a little bit worried. The uh, Treasury's, yes, they pick it up to one six. Although still not at our highest yield of the year, where do you stand on the transitory permanent debate? Well, I think the, the probability is that the Fed will be a bit slow in terms of hiking interest rates. I mean, the difficulty is that we're still in the world of COVID. I mean, we see that very clearly in Europe, where uh, lockdowns are, are coming back, and COVID seems to be moving west. So it was bigger in Asia. Now it's uh, picking up again in Europe. Uh, who knows how long it will take to pick up again in the U.S., but I think that's got to be a question uh, when you look ahead to the end of the year and to early next year. So it's still going to be difficult in terms of the uh, in terms of the economic outlook. And I think the, the likelihood, therefore, is that people are going to be expecting the Fed to hike interest rates, but they're going to be expecting the Fed to be a bit slow. So the curve will probably steepen. And we'll definitely see bond yields break the 170 area that was the high so far this year probably before the end of this year. Um, Guy, it's interesting, isn't it? Because up to this point, the markets have largely flattened the curve. And to many people, that suggests that there is some doubt as to the underlying resilience of this post-COVID economic bounce. Um, do you think the markets have got this story wrong and that the flattening that we've seen here then uh, was a misstep and a misunderstanding? 
Well, I think there was sort of two two phases of that. Early on in the year, we saw the curve steepen quite a bit because people were worried that the that inflation was picking up and that the Fed wasn't reacting enough. Then they became convinced, starting with the Bank of England, that central banks were going to be tougher. And so we had the flattening move. Now there's a lot of uncertainty. But my suspicion is we probably, particularly after the most recent Bank of England decision, the most recent Fed decision, we're probably going to be moving back into a phase of steepening rather than, than flattening. But the one thing I think that seems very likely to all of us is that uh, across the curve, yields are going to continue to rise. Let me ask you then, how do I make money in the fixed income space here? I know a lot of people have been drawn to linkers or inflation indexed bonds in the hope that they will do well even as uh, prices continue to rise here. But they do look a little expensive. Where do I go for yield and where do I go for capital gain? Well, capital gains is going to be tough. I mean, I think that in 2022, it's mostly about capital preservation. So the first thing I would say is you want to be short duration in terms of your yield positions. The less duration you have, the less exposure you're going to have to rising yields. Where the curve steepens or flattens in terms of absolute performance, the long end, I think, is going to do worse. Uh, the second thing, I think the credit markets, unfortunately, after having had a very good run, are looking expensive. So I'm even uh, getting more bearish about corporate bonds for uh, next year. And I do think that yields, which are currently around 115, could be rising to 170. Inflation-linked bonds look good. It's not a huge asset class, so your ability to put lots of money in there is going to be somewhat limited. Another asset class that I think is discounting an awful lot of bad news is emerging markets. So there's going to continue to be headwinds in terms of emerging markets, but the valuations are the cheapest pretty much in any fixed income asset class. So as a, as a kind of contrarian bet, I think that's the area that we could be surprised by the performance being not so bad next year. Can I ask you specifically on the, um, the UK? Obviously, we all understand the communication challenge that the Bank of England is under at the moment. But do you think that we should imagine that a, a modest hike in policy rates is now baked in for the December meeting? I think it is. Um, there's still a bit of debate there. I think the more interesting question is how quickly they hike over the course of 2022. Uh, I think partially it's about the currency. Uh, so far, the, so far, sterling has been strong, has been reasonably strong. But a lot of that has to do with politics. A lot of it has to do with relative UK growth. A lot of it has to do with the, uh, the UK exportability. So I think the reason why the Bank of England probably has the toughest job of any central bank is because they have some currency questions that probably neither the ECB do nor the Fed does over the course of 2022. We're going to wrap it with you, Guy. Pleasure having you on this morning. Thanks so much Thank for helping for us me. out. And um, rock, the Cas rock the Casbah London calling. A couple of those classics uh, from the Clash era. Great having you with us. Guy Steer, Global Head of Fixed Income Research at SOCGen, and just reminding us of some of the wonderful tunes that we've heard in the last few years. Um, we've got to take a quick break at this point. Let's tell you about Germany. Uh, the coalition talks appear to be closing in on a deal with a new government potentially set to be announced as soon as today. We'll give you some details when we come back. Yeah, perhaps more famous than ones such as the lost in the supermarket and clampdown. Sounds remarkably familiar to lockdown. Anyway, elsewhere today you can find the podcast, which has plenty more on Jerome Powell's nomination and his challenges in the second term as Fed Chair. Check out the Squawk Box podcast.
Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on cnbc.com. Welcome back, everybody. After nearly two months of negotiations, a German coalition government could be announced as soon as today. Social Democratic Party leader Olaf Scholz is expected to become the next chancellor, ruling together with the Green Party and the pro-business FDP. Robin Ahrens joins us, associate at Bernstein. Robin, good morning to you. The, the, the pieces of the jigsaw are falling into place pretty much as expected here. Anything that... Um, we might be surprised by or should keep a, a weathered eye open for? Uh, good morning. Um, so the, the key question will be uh, what the what the final uh, coalition agreement will consist of. So in the end, um, in the last four weeks, 22 different working groups negotiated on their own the different policy measures and policy fields. So uh, we will be, it will be interesting to see how they or how the core group has um, combined all these papers to one comprehensive piece and uh, how this will unfold and how detailed this uh, agreement will be. So what, what I've seen uh, already are papers from different working groups and some were pretty detailed and some were less detailed. So the, the, the big uh, question will be in the end how the coalition agreement um, will look like in the end um, besides the, the cabinet members, obviously, which is also the another big question today. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of the uh, known unknowns, if you like. Christian Lindner, of yeah. course, being talked about as the man in charge of the money uh, and that part of the um, uh, requirements for the FDP to be part of this coalition. That being the case, um, should we expect a more conservative fiscal approach than many had hoped for from an SDP government? Well, that's the constant hope and the constant narrative I've heard uh, in the last weeks from from businesses, but also from within the Liberals. But in the end, um, finance ministers is, is as good as the, the rest of the cabinet is. And, and uh, I mean, in Germany, the, the chancellor has the last say um, uh, about the about the policy in the in the government. So he Linda will, will make will have to make compromises. The Liberals will have to make compromises on how to finance the, the green revolution, so to say, or the, the rebuilding of the, of the German economy. So um, many hope for it. We will see how this will unfold. But um, yeah, it, it depends also on the, on the, on the yeah, future development of, of COVID, how, how many um, financial aids we will have to, or the, the government has to uh, put into place over this uh, winter and what's what developments with the with the inflation rate are coming from europe so that's a pretty yeah a complex situation at the moment and um the the playbook is clear but how the reality will unfold that's a different different uh, question 
You. Uh, since you've brought up COVID, um, acting Chancellor Merkel said overnight that Germany may need stricter measures to control COVID at this stage. But of course, she, she will no longer be in government once we have the new coalition government formed. Do you think that view will be carried forward by the new administration? And should we be alert to new restrictions on Germans to try and reduce the COVID count? The, the, the new majority in the German, the German parliament um, voted last week on a new COVID law, so to say, so how to, um, how to, how to restrict the, the infection rate and how to, to handle this whole situation. So we saw already a, a different path uh, in the end, and in the end, the federal council, all the, all sixteen federal states voted uh, in favor of the law. So um, it's it's pretty a symbolic act at the moment that that Merkel says um, we need we need stricter measures. I would be surprised um, if the if the new government in place will introduce new or stricter measures as the current law is is in in place until until March twenty twenty two. So they, they, they set clearly out what they want to achieve. And that was also one of the points of the Liberals. They put the federal parliament in the first place of defining the rules and giving a clear set of rules to the federal states. Uh, in the last year or last 18 months, we saw um, the main, the main uh, room where, where decisions were, were taken was more or less an artificial um, meeting of the Chancellor with the Minister President, so all states acted uh, together, or, or at least tried to act together. So now with the federal parliament in charge, um, I think that at least for the next four, six weeks, they will stick to their plan, they will stick to their new law in place, and then we will see how this whole situation unfolds. I mean, we saw today dramatic new figures, and um, it's an unpredictable to specific or to a specific extent where the situation will be in January or February. Um, what, are you, what are the chances of this coalition um, holding together for the full term? Uh, last time we saw uh, a coalition uh, built, it, it didn't get off the ground and we ended up with a grand coalition, of course, with the, um, the CDU and the SDP ruling together. Uh, what are the chances, given that the Greens, the SDP and the FDP have very different ideas on many areas of how the economy should be run, uh, what are the chances that this holds together through the full term? Um, my, my personal um, view is that I'm pretty confident at the moment that they will stick together for the full term. What we've seen over the last two months here in Germany is that the whole process from starting the, the talks until entering the, the negotiations until today, they were pretty quiet all over the place. So there were no big leaks, there were no big interviews, there were no background talks with giving a spin into the whole whole debate. So what they've what they've tried and I I think what they have achieved over the last eight weeks is they built trust. So the Liberals and the Greens and the Social Democrats, as you said, 
uh, work together for the first time on on a federal level. So they had needed to know each other, needed to to build trust as the big the big things they will face will not cover will not be covered by this by this coalition agreement. You know, the uh, debt crisis, COVID, the the refugee um, situation back in the days. They were all unpredicted or unpredictable, and they were not covered by the by the coalition agreement. So, what they what what besides the the policy points, what was crucial or is crucial is that they established trust, probably established talking channels and working modes, and agreed on several things how to how they will work in the future together. And so, I'm pretty confident at the moment that they will stick together for the for the full term. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.